Welcome to the Primal Pioneer, a no-nonsense podcast teaching you how to rewild your life and heal your body using nature's medicine kit. I'm your host, Heather Shepard, classical homeopath, author of The Sunlight Rx, and alternative healer. For the past decade, I've been helping people overcome acute and chronic health disorders and brain injuries using a 100% natural approach. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast to stay informed about your body, your health, and how to lead the healthiest life possible, even amidst our crazy modern world. The following episodes are a true story about me and my partner Jen's rewilding journey and quest. I will tell this story in audiobook form and hope that you not only enjoy this very alive, living, breathing, personal rewilding quest that I share with you, but also that my story inspires, motivates, and teaches you how to rewild your life as well and the importance of it because our health and the survival of our planet depends on it. Chapter 1. My Rewilding Roots run deep. I was born and raised in a worn-out farmhouse in upstate New York. The house was once an old train station, actually, and I wondered if this was why I often had trouble sleeping at night as a kid. Maybe it was due to the leftover bustling energies of the train station that were seeped into the foundation of the house. Maybe it was just due to my dad's snoring, or maybe it was due to the electrical wires that entered our home directly outside my bedroom window. I'm pretty certain it was a combination of all three. But one thing was for sure. There were ghosts in the house, spirits, maybe the souls of weary travelers, maybe the souls of freed slaves escaping from their duty-bound, field-worn plantation lives to finally live a life of freedom. I often think this because the spirits, the souls that me, my mom, sister, and sister-in-law would see were African-American. The house had history, heart, soul, a pulse. And this pulse, this heart and soul is still palpable to this day. My parents always grew a garden in the short, humid summer months. My dad raised two, three, often four cows out back on our pasture each year. We often raised pigs and chickens too. My mom would make homemade lard from the pigs we'd raise, Lard pies, lard donuts, venison steaks sautéed in lard. My mom loved to cook and did it damn well. And she did it as natural as possible. Not because she knew the facts and the science about a carnivore diet, the health benefits of animal fats and wild game, but because she had common sense. But also because we were dirt poor growing up. And this was the most cost-effective way to feed a family of five. My dad managed a psychiatric ward by day, coached my basketball team by night, and every other bit of his spare time was spent on our family's 200 wooded acres, cutting wood to heat our wood stove, tapping maple trees to make maple syrup, which complemented the homemade pancakes and farm sausage patties my mom would make us for breakfast. He would hunt deer and turkey to last our family throughout the winter and would fish for bass and sunfish in our ponds, which my mom would coat with ground flour and egg yolks, fry in butter, and then my brother, sister, and I would proceed to hose this down along with a side of fresh dilled tartar sauce, 
garden-grown salt potatoes slathered in butter, and summer squash. These are the parts of my childhood that made me feel alive, primal, and exquisitely satisfied. Growing up, I was an avid athlete, winning state championships, receiving an abundance of awards and accolades for my athletic performance, and I knew in my heart that these things happened for me because I practiced my sport, basketball and softball, every chance I got. At age five, my dad made a maze out of cones and chairs. He scattered them about the living room, handed me a pair of goggles where the bottom part of the lens extended vertically so I couldn't see below, and handed me a basketball. Dribble through these cones and chairs without losing the ball. I gladly and excitedly accepted the challenge, and I did this for hours until I could go around every corner, chair, and cone without making a mistake. I loved every minute of it. My partner Jen says that I'm not like most people. She says I'm different, an anomaly. She says that most people need to follow others, a group, a community, an organization, to gain the motivation to do something. Otherwise, they simply won't do it. And this makes sense to me. But she says all you need is me, love, partnership, and land, nature, to feel satiated, motivated, and alive. I thought about this for a while, and I decided she's right. And then I thought of my love for community and how I thrive on leading a team, being the point guard in all aspects of my life, leading people working together towards a greater cause, a goal, a cause where all would benefit. I was awarded a Division I scholarship to play basketball at Jacksonville State University in Alabama, and I accepted, and didn't doubt that I'd be as out of place as a great pie at a Southern Thanksgiving dinner. And I say this because I literally brought a great pie to my first Thanksgiving dinner in Alabama and was received with stunned, jaw-dropping looks. They didn't think this combination of grapes in a pie sounded good, and they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> so I was the only one who ate the great pie that Thanksgiving. For any of you who haven't had a great pie, this is classic to the Finger Lakes region in upstate New York. My mom makes them so well, and they're absolutely delicious. To these people in down south at the time, I was a Yankee who knew nothing about baby back ribs, southern hospitality, or sweet tea. Honestly, they were right. I knew nothing of the sort. The day I left for college, the field behind our barn caught on fire. I'd never seen such a big fire. I didn't know whether to continue frantically packing my bags for college or to help put out the fire. I ran down to the field, and it was August, and the temperature was sweltering and humid. My dad and brother were pouring sweat, fighting the fire, with a garden hose and a five-gallon bucket. The bucket was filled by throwing a tethered bucket, a rope tethered <laughs> to the bucket, down the well adjacent to the barn, and then hauling the bucket back up, and then pouring this over the fire. I watched this. I watched my brother do this over and over again, and I thought this was a very ineffective, not good way to put out the 20-foot flames. So I shouted to my dad, what do you want me to do? 
Should I call the fire department? My dad replied in predictable fashion, using the sailor mouth he inherited from his father, in which I consequently inherited from him. No, goddammit, he said. Okay. I walked back to the house and continued packing. That's how stubborn my dad was. He didn't want help putting out the fire. He could do it himself. Somehow, two hours later, I was packed, and as if in choreographed sequence, the fire was out too. When I got to college, I was surprisingly welcomed with open arms and was in great company. My teammates were from a diverse background. Chicago, Tennessee, Kentucky, Michigan, Florida, Ohio, even Ireland, British Columbia, and Australia. We were a collection of different backgrounds, races, cultures, and sexual orientation preferences, coached by a very diverse crew in and of itself. A tender-hearted, fiercely competitive dude from Rhode Island, a sexually repressed forgive-Jesus-for-my-lesbian-tendencies woman from Kentucky, and a Napoleon and Bobby Knight complex young Italian guy from New York City. And I thought I'd stick out like a sore thumb, I thought to myself. Actually, I fit right in. While I loved college, my teammates and coaches, our trip to Alaska where I tried teriyaki mousse for the first time and loved it. It was amazing. I became a regular at the local rib shack down the road from my dorm. I even found comfort in the southern drawl and befriended the lady running the Boussard's office who came down with pneumonia, as she called it, each winter. However, college was missing one important element for me, wildness. After graduation, I did find myself in the wildest environment my body, mind, and soul had seen in four years. I took a summer job on an organic farm in rural backwoods, Alabama. I woke at 5 a.m. every day that summer and drove 45 minutes to this pristine farmhouse on acres of rolling hills, cows grazing on pasture, and tomatoes growing on every flat piece of land you could see. As soon as I stepped onto the farm, I felt like I was home. My summer's farming in Alabama was no joke. It was hot and humid and muggy. I picked tomatoes, zucchinis, snap peas, and greens and sweat like some kind of farm animal. My body poured sweat from all the work and from the humidity I was covered from head to toe when I was done. And I'll have to say, it was more satisfying than any state championship I had ever won, any game-winning shot I had ever made, or three-pointer I had ever nailed. Back then, I had no idea why it felt so good to work so hard for a tomato or a head of lettuce. But now, I know why. And it still to this day fills me with great satisfaction. Because I now know that this sense of satisfaction was there because I can provide for myself, my family, my community. I can provide them and myself with nourishment. This nourishment that comes straight from the organic earth and is healing to her as well. Nature always provides nourishment. All we have to do is support her and stop interfering with her natural process 
that she's been doing for billions of years. Almost immediately after college, I could have followed my farming bliss and become a woofer or a farmhand somewhere. But farming isn't considered a reputable job. It's the work for the lowly, the poor, the uneducated, which now blows my mind to think that we've been trained in this way, to think that organic and regenerative farmers are lowly, are useless. These farmers, and without them on this planet, the soil becomes deficient, poisoned, dry, The animals filled with soy and poison themselves and then treated with antibiotics. And the grocery store shelves, nutrient deficient and eventually empty. Farmers deserve the salary of professional athletes because without them, we would die. But back then, 17 years ago, almost to the day, this is what I thought. So I never even considered farming as an occupation. Instead, I took a job doing something else I loved, moving my body. I trained professional athletes working for an elitist training company in Tempe, Arizona. When I got assigned to work with NBA players, I was stoked. But when I saw how the players treated themselves, their bodies, their wives and girlfriends, and how they handled their money, I quickly realized that most of these guys looked like heroes and star athletes on the outside, but on the inside, there was a big, hollow, empty shell. Most of them caught the money, fame, and fortune bug, had no interest in training, and and cared more about what they bought and who brought the the biggest duffel bag full of money into the locker room. I can't tell you how many duffel bags I saw stuffed full of wads of money. I've never seen such a thing in my life. I wanted out of this world, but I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know what other skills I was good enough at to make a decent living. Just as much as I wanted to change, I guess the universe wanted me to change as well. One February morning, I was driving to work, lost control of my car, split a telephone pole in two, and was left with a major concussion, a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. And that event, my friends, put the nail in the coffin to my training days and athletic career. Running, even walking for several years post-accident, put too much pressure on my head, leaving me dizzy, flattened on the floor with migraine headaches, experiencing insomnia, chronic fatigue, and intense anxiety. Every person enters the underworld, a plutonic-like experience in their lives. Some enter it many times, others one or two times. And this, this event, these plutonic events, they reshape, remold, and transform us if we allow it to. And since I literally couldn't move much at all for several years after my accident, I sat there fermenting like fresh grapes, pressed, sitting patiently in its wooden barrel, waiting for the day to reach maturity and reemerge with newfound nourishment, wisdom, and life. To learn more about rewilding your life and healing your body naturally, 
subscribe to this podcast, and follow me on Instagram at sunlight underscore rx, or visit me online at heathershepherd.com or wildandform.org.